Well, doesn't it feel like right now our nation is divided? Feels like the only thing uh, we can agree on is that we don't agree on anything. Uh, beyond that, it just feels like there's so much uh, division. And here's the irony of all that division. Here's the irony, at least from my perspective. It's like we, we want the same thing. And I don't know if we would, um, now we're talking about maybe different things when we talk about it, and it's an old-fashioned word, and I don't know if anybody uses this word, but what everybody wants, what, where, wherever you are in the disagreement right now culturally, what I think everybody wants is like, right, standing with one another. They want a kind of human flourishing with one another. And again, I don't, I don't think people use this word. I don't think they, they have in mind this old-fashioned word, but when people talk about peace with one another, and they, I mean, nobody wants human trafficking, nobody wants war, nobody wants violence, nobody wants children to go hungry, right? Everybody kind of agrees, they have, they have this vision out there, and the word for this vision, the word to describe, is an old-fashioned word, it's the word righteousness, nothing missing, nothing broken. I don't, I don't think people disagree on that is the goal. Again, it's an old-fashioned word. You may not use it much, but I think that's it. That, that's what everybody's after. The, the, the disagreement comes in, uh, in, uh, in what kind of righteousness are you after? What, what does your world of righteousness look like? And is it the same as what my world of righteousness? Are we defining that the same way? You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was not so much up against secular humanist cultural forces. Jesus found himself at odds with the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and Pharisees. And the scribes and Pharisees very much had a notion of righteousness. This is what the world needs to look like. This is what it looks like when everybody's together and everybody's in order. They're following God's law in this particular way we have in mind, and that's righteousness. And Jesus, turn to Matthew 5. We're continuing in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, in Matthew 5, verse 17, he does something. It's incredible. He actually starts with, with the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, let's start with what we have in common. Let's start by acknowledging something we have in common. And the scribes and Pharisees would say, righteousness is only going to come through God's law. And Jesus is going to say, actually, I agree with you. So far, I, I agree with you. Now, your interpretation of God, you'll see we diverge pretty quickly. But just, just go to Matthew 5, 17. Watch, Jesus begins. He, he, we looked at the Beatitudes last week. He starts the Sermon on the Mount. These are Mark's evidences of a believer. And now he, he, he moves into this, this new section, and he begins with what he and the scribes and Pharisees actually agree on. Everybody got it? Scribes and Pharisees are like the, the religious leaders of the day. They had a very legalistic understanding of righteousness. And he says, look, verse 17, don't think, because the scribes and Pharisees are saying, well, Jesus doesn't really care about the law. He doesn't, he doesn't care about the Bible. Jesus says, whoa, 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 do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. So, so far, he said, we're on the same page. I didn't come to abolish. When he says law and the prophets, he means what we would call the Old Testament. For them, the Bible, the scriptures. He goes, I didn't come to abolish that. I came to fulfill it. That's an incredible statement. What he's saying is what, I, when I preached all the way through that Samuel series, when I preached through that Isaiah, Isaiah series, what did I say over and over again? The Old Testament, when you start to read the Bible and you start to study it, you start to realize it tells one story start to finish. And the whole Old Testament is whispering the name of the one who is to come. 
The whole Old Testament is pointing to the one who is to come. It's pointing to Messiah. So like all that business about the... Um, the sacrificial system. Take a spotless lamb to the temple. Have the high priest there offer that spotless lamb as an atonement and that will cover for the sins. That was a pointing. That was a pointing of the one who would come. And Jesus came as the spotless lamb of God as the once for all sacrificed forever. So now the Old Testament is now not abolished. It's fulfilled. We no longer need to offer those animals year after year in a temple why? He, he is the spotless lamb once and for all. We now no longer need a human high priest. Why? Because we have a great high priest in Jesus. He fulfilled the Old Testament. He fulfilled the law by obeying it perfectly, the heart of the law. How did he fulfill the prophets? How do you fulfill a prophet? You fulfill a prophet by fulfilling the prophecy. And Jesus fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies about Messiah. So like when the prophet Micah said, Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was like, check. Born in Bethlehem. When Isaiah said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, Jesus like, check, virgin birth. All through the Old Testament prophecies, Jesus fulfilled them. So he didn't come to abolish the law. They are completed in him. They're brought to their fulfillment in Jesus. He's saying, it's about me. For truly, and he says, I, and, and I'm not going to stop till I fulfill every Old Testament prophecy. Look at verse 18. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, these are the, the smallest Little markings in the Hebrew alphabet. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. He's saying it's all going to be fulfilled in me. So, so don't think that I've come to abolish the law. No, no, no. In fact, verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now that to me is amazing. He is able to look thousands of years before it happens, he is able to anticipate secular humanism. He is able to anticipate secularism. In other words, there are many today, right? Back then it was the scribes and Pharisees, but there are many today who would say the problem is actually with all you uh, religious people, all you Christians. And the problem is, y'all have all, uh, we need to get rid of God, get rid of God's laws altogether. And now, if, if we have a world free from all that, we'll be better off. And Jesus says, no, there's no way around it. No, you don't get righteousness that way. But I just want to point out, that is a cultural narrative right now. The problem is, you know, you, you guys are being too judgmental. As long as it's a world where you're not hurting anybody, and as long as you're tolerant of whatever everybody else, and as long as there's consent, and what, whatever other, you know, few rules there are, as long as that, all this needs to go out the window. You, you can achieve the righteousness, they would say, by junking the whole idea of righteousness altogether. Jesus says, no. No, you can't get around it. No, no, no. No, the, the, the way to righteousness is from God. It is, it is God. It is his word, his law. But here's verse 20. In this verse is the key verse, and the whole message hangs on this verse. Both my sermon and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount hang on this verse. For I tell you, unless your righteousness, unless your vision of what your, the little kingdom you want to build, whatever you imagine as, as, as the good life, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, and we have our own modern day version of scribes and Pharisees, I think, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's incredible. He's saying the scribes and Pharisees have a vision for a type of righteousness that their systems of religious rules can produce. And Jesus is saying, I'm here with a whole new reality, a whole new way to look at this. So how in the world is he going to explain this verse? This is a, this is a thick verse. This is a dense 
verse. So much theology is packed in here. What could this mean? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And here's what's great. Instead of giving a big, long, lengthy theological lecture, Jesus just gives illustrations. And he gives six of them. He gives six illustrations of how the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees work, and he just lays his kingdom vision beside their kingdom vision, as if to say, see? See how this plays out in in usual ways? And so that's what I'm going to try to do. That's the key verse, and I'm just going to show you the scribes and Pharisees, six illustrations. This is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Here's the righteousness of Jesus. And at the very end, I promise you, no matter what happens, no matter how many people we lose along the way in this sermon, you're like, it's already happened. I'm, I've, yeah. <laughs> okay. No matter what happens, at the very end, we're going to end with a personal testimony of a Pharisee who tried to live the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so no matter what happens, I promise you at the very end, a personal testimony of a Pharisee who tried to live uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, here we go. So the, the, so the six illustrations. First, let's do sort of a flyover, and let's look at the six illustrations he used. This is not the entire law, this is not the entire righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, but he gives six illustrations of things that might happen in life. And, and each one has a simple formula. He says, you have heard that it was said. In other words, here's the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, but I say unto you. And he does it in six areas. Let's, take, let's, let, let's just do a flyover of the, those, those first six. First one is murder. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everybody see that? And then he's going to lay down his kingdom vision. Okay, that's murder. Uh, Skip down to verse 27. Look at the second illustration. The second illustration concerns adultery. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you. Okay, so he's going to lay down the the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. Don't commit adultery. What's the righteousness in in Jesus's? It's apparently of a different or higher or better quality. So I wonder what he's going to say. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, okay, so the third one dealt with divorce. The fourth is in verse 33. This one has to do with swearing oaths, uh, giving testimony in court. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, he's going to give his teaching. The fifth one has to do with uh, 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 retaliation. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, he's going to give his own teaching on that. And finally, skip down to verse uh, 43. This one has to do with love. This is the last illustration he gives. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Obviously, uh, you know, Jesus begins each formula with, you've heard it was said. He doesn't say, it is written. It is written is when they point to ancient scriptures. You've heard it was said means this is the rabbi's teaching about these scriptures. But I say to you, not thus saith the Lord, I say to you. That's why they said he speaks as one with authority. He's speaking like God. It's incredible. So his point is, you've heard people say, love your neighbor. That's in the Bible. And hate your enemy. That is not in the Bible. You can spend all Sunday afternoon searching. You will not find where the Bible says, hate your enemy. It's not in there. But the scribes and Pharisees had created this world where love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But Jesus says, but I say to you. So he's going to lay down his version of righteousness. Okay? So just did a fly over there. That, that gives us an illustration. And I don't, I don't think the scribes and Pharisees would disagree with his summation. And Jesus says, remember Matthew 5.20. This is the key verse. 
unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, they have a vision for righteousness, but you, your righteousness has to exceed that, or you won't even get into You're not even in the kingdom of heaven. And so I, I, I just thought, like, it'd be fun to kind of summarize these six illustrations. Let's just lay them out. Here's what Jesus has said so far in these six illustrations. This is the righteousness of the scribe and Pharisee. Number one, don't murder anybody. Very good. Number two, don't commit the act of adultery. All the Pharisees were concerned about was an external righteousness. As long as you don't sleep with somebody that's not your spouse, anything else, but, 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 that, but that. Don't commit the act of adultery, you're good to go. Number three, divorce anyone you want at any time for any reason, but fill out the proper paperwork. That's the law of the scribes and Pharisees. That's the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Number four, tell the truth every time you take an oath invoking God's name. If you didn't invoke God's name, meh. But if you ever, you know, swear on God's name, that you, then you have to tell the truth. <clears throat> Number five, you may retaliate, but y'all, only to get even. And number six, love certain people. Good. Have I in any way misrepresented the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? I don't think I have. That's it. So I don't want to assume anything here. Let me start at the very most basic level. Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, you need a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And the first thing I want to point out is Jesus is right. It, that is righteousness? If that's right, I mean, you read that. Some of you even laughed when I read the list because you've been walking with Jesus. Some of you have been walking in the Jesus way so long that you've forgotten how laughable a legalistic righteousness is. But there are a lot of people who still very much live in a legalistic righteousness. It's not laughable at all. It would say, yeah, th yeah, those are the laws. Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 if that's righteousness, if that's what it takes to get into heaven, yo, what kind of heaven would you have? If that's it, you need a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Their vision for a righteousness, whew, that's, I'm just pointing out what Jesus is saying. That, that, that's pretty flimsy. That's pretty lousy. That's pretty pathetic as a righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And there's no way you can read the Old Testament and say, yes, that's the heartbeat of God's law. That's what he wants for human flourishing. You'd be like, uh, no, no, I think it's a little higher than that. I think, they, I think they got to this point. You say, well, how did they get here? I think over time they did what many of us would do. They looked at the law of God. They saw that the standard was so high and they couldn't meet it. So in order to meet the law of God, instead of leveling up, they just sort of <laughs> did what we all do. They sort of lower the standard to make it something that was achievable. That's why it's shocking. But when you read in the New Testament, certain Pharisees will describe them following the law. They followed the law. They'll describe themselves as blameless. Flawless, perfect, I was blameless. Well, if that's the righteousness, if that's the standard, like, you could be blameless. You could totally, if, if that's all it is, is an external righteousness, sort of check all those boxes, you could do it. Not to put too fine a point on it, but like right here in this room right now, according to what Jesus says is the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, most of y'all are like, 100%. You are right now sitting here blameless, as for the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Number one, don't murder anybody. Most of you, check. 
Well, I don't want to assume. <laughs> Most of all, y'all. Number two, as long as you've not committed the act of adultery, says nothing in here about lust, says nothing in here about, you know, trying really hard to be a faithful spouse. As long as you've never slept with somebody that's not your spouse, check. See? Number three, divorce. Check or check. If you've never been divorced, check. If you have been divorced, did you fill out paperwork? Check. I mean, I'm not kidding. This is the, this is the righteousness of Christ's Pharisees. Number four, have you... Have you ever, in a court of law, perjured yourself? Have you ever, you know, uh, I, I, I swear and then somehow invoke the name of God and the next words out of your mouth were a lie? You're like, not only have I not done that, I've never even been in that situation. Then check. Dude, you're four out of six right now. If you were a free throw shooter, you're, look, look, look. No, number five, you may retaliate. Now, guys, I'm going to get you on this one. Have any of you ever retaliated? Well, yeah. But was it only to get even? Check. You better believe it, preacher. Check. Why? Because that's the only reason anybody does anything. It's just to get even. It's them, right? And have you guys loved certain people? Check. You got it. Congratulations. You have just achieved the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. The reason that's not very satisfying, of course, is you look at that and you go, well, I don't really want to rejoice. Why? You'd say, well, preacher, there's a lot of, pro- a lot of problems with that. Yeah, there are. Well, like what? Well, I'm starting to see why Jesus said your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees because that, that sort of external legalistic righteousness has some problems. Okay, like what? Well, like for one thing, it doesn't address the real problem. Exactly. Take the one about divorce, for example. Anybody who's been through the pain and the agony of that tearing apart of the marriage, they would say the heartache and the emotional fatigue and the drain, it wasn't the paperwork, it was the lies. It was the lack of truth. It was the anger. It was the hurt. It was the betrayal. And that's a heart issue. And the paperwork wasn't the problem. Exactly. Another problem is uh, this is going to require laws upon laws upon laws because the minute the minute you say something like you know um, uh, uh, you know don't don't take an oath involving God's name it's like okay well what if I didn't use God's name what if I took an oath but I swore on God's holy city Jerusalem or I swore on like heaven and earth see I did a little loophole did an end around I lied but I never said God's name I swore on heaven and earth you're gonna well okay or it's like love your neighbor okay but who is my neighbor. Define neighbor. Don't murder. Define murder. A, a, a subtle problem you may not realize. Another reason we need a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is I, there's a deep irony to all this. I believe the scribes and Pharisees wanted this because they could make the law easier to achieve. Ironically, ironically, in trying to make it easier, haven't they in some ways made it harder? Look at number six. Love certain people. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. So they tried to make that easier. Everybody can do that. Here's the irony. Once you allow that certain people can be hated, once you allow for the fact that there can be hatred in your heart for somebody and anger and hatred, now, number one, is just a little bit tougher. Now people are more likely to murder. And then after they murder, they go on a trial. And to save their own skin, they're more likely to swear an oath and break it. Ironically, to make it easier, they've actually made the law harder 
Jesus is willing to deal with the heart. The Pharisees are all about external righteousness. Tear down this cobweb of sin. Tear down this cobweb of sin. Tear down this cobweb. All these spider webs of sin. When will I ever be able to tear them all down? Jesus is like, just kill the spider, man. Spend your whole life trying to match up to these external righteousness. There's a better way. But here's the deal. It, we, we, need a, we need a better way. I hope the groundwork is sufficiently laid. We need a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. That is not a vision for a preferred future any of us want. That's enough righteousness maybe to keep inmates in a prison to keep them from killing each other. But that's not the righteousness we want. We want families, human families flourishing together in love. Not just a bunch of prisoners separated by legalism. So how can we get that? How can we get that shalom, that perfect peace, that righteousness? Is there a better way? And that's where Jesus says, well, that's what this sermon's about. But it's going to blow your mind. Prepare yourself. Here's why. You don't just need a little tinkering on the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You need a complete overhaul. My kingdom is not going to look anything like. There's going to be a few things that are going to carry over, but I'm telling you now, it's going to shock you. It's going to outrage you. It's going to startle you. You're going to, you're going to fight against this because I'm telling you, my kingdom is so radically different. You're going to listen to what I have to say in the Sermon on the Mount. And you go, well, that sounds like it's from another world. Exactly. My kingdom is not of this world. It's going to blow your mind. This is the illustration I thought of this week. I hope it'll help. I don't know. But when the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus knew, when he presents his righteousness, all everybody knows are the cultural narratives of their day, whether it's scribes and Pharisees or secularism. You know, you do you, don't be a jerk, be tolerant of everybody, have a good life. Like, it, it, that's still the cultural narrative. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is so radically different that there's a lot of stuff you won't even understand until you're in my kingdom. Here's the illustration I thought of. I hope it helps. It helps me. It may help you. <clears throat> when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, for someone who's not yet saved, for someone who's not yet born again, it would be like trying to explain to a caterpillar how that caterpillar has to make a 2,500 mile, 2,500 mile journey of migration in order to reproduce and lay eggs. And that caterpillar is looking at you like, say that again, 2,500 miles from your home in central Minnesota to central Mexico. That's the migration. You are a monarch butterfly caterpillar, and you have to make a 2,500-mile journey. And that caterpillar's like, I don't know if I can do that. I got a lot of legs, but they can't go that far. <laughs> well, what do you mean? It's the only way. 2,500 miles, but I like it here in Minnesota. I got a delicious milkweed plant. And I eat it, and it, it's everything I know. It's everything I've known. And you're telling me i got to make it 2,500 miles as a caterpillar? Well, I said you got to make it 2,500 miles, but your vision needs to exceed your caterpillar thinking. I can't make it 2,500 miles. Well, what am I going to do? How am I going to get there? I'll never get there. And the Pharisees swoop in and go, well, all right, you really don't have to go 2,500 miles. Eh. Jesus says, nope, you got to make it all 2,500 miles. And the caterpillar's going, how's this going to happen? Jesus says, well, let me give you a whole new vision, caterpillar. You're not going to believe this, but one day, you're going to take a nap. And there's this thing called a cocoon. And you're going to wake up out of this cocoon one day, and you're going to go, no way. 
no way. What just happened? Yeah, you got to make a 2,500 mile. Well, now I can make. Exactly. It's almost like you got to be born again. It's like you got to be born in a whole new, different way. It's like caterpillar thinking won't get you. This is a whole new kingdom. And what Jesus is about to say is going to make sense to those who understand. I've got to scrap this whole system of thinking of my own righteousness, and I've got to be found in him. I need a whole new righteousness. Jesus, what does your kingdom look like? What does your righteousness look like? Well, I'll tell you, you know, let's go back through those examples. Nothing's more basic than human life than murder, so let's start with murder. You've heard it said, verse 21, you shall not murder, and whoever murders be liable to judgment. But I say to you, That everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. See, you've been told your whole life, follow the law and just avoid murdering. He says, but where do you think murder comes from? Hmm? Every murder starts out as a little bitty anger seed. And when the anger grows, what do you think is the natural consequence? So in my kingdom, he says, I didn't come to deal with the murder, the end result. I came to eradicate that seed. I came to deal with it at a heart level. I'm going to put a new heart in you such that not only will you not murder, you won't even be the kind of person that would ever think about murdering. Why? Because we're killing it at the seed level. We're dealing with hearts. And Jesus is saying, only I can deal with your heart. you got to be born again. And someone who's born again, someone who's living by the power of the Spirit, Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, I got people born by by grace. It would never even cross their mind to murder. He says, in fact, let let me give you a couple illustrations of how crazy my kingdom people are. Let me tell you about what my people do. Imagine they're at their offering. Imagine they've traveled a week to get to Jerusalem, and they've somehow corralled this cow as their live offering. They finally paid all this money. They've made it to the altar. They've traveled a week to get here. He says, here's how crazy my people are. If they realize in that moment that they've hurt somebody and they can go make it right watch he says if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother then come offer your gift and everybody would have laughed at this can you imagine so so, so you finally get that cow there it's taking you a week to get there you spent all this money you would rather he says my kingdom people they, they would say that's crazy you're gonna travel a week back just to get right with your brother because you realize you've hurt them and you can make it right That's crazy. Jesus says, no, what's crazy is a world where you think you can stand worshiping God knowing you've hurt your brother. That's what's crazy. In my kingdom, that would never even cross your mind. I said, well, that's that's a totally different kind of kingdom. Yeah, yeah. In fact, imagine imagine they're being sued. I'll give you another example. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with them to court, lest your accuser come and hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. He's saying, my kingdom followers are more concerned about love and the great commission. They're not concerned about always getting their day in court and making sure they're heard and getting all their vindication. It's like they're willing to settle even if they take a loss. Why? Because, man, they don't want this thing to go south and end up in jail. They want to be following Jesus and be carrying out the great commission, not be distracted by all this. People say, well, that that sounds very different. That's, that's, That's a very different kingdom. That's right. And I would put it this way. Write this down. It's not the external righteousness from rules. It's the internal righteousness from relationship. That's what makes the Jesus way far exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. They can give you an external righteousness from rules. Jesus wants to deal with your heart. The internal righteousness from relationship. 
It's not the external righteousness from rules. It's the internal righteousness from relationship. Take another illustration of how this plays out in everyday life. Adultery. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, so far, so good. At least these things are found in the law. But, where, but again, fine. So the, the, the Pharisees are concerned you don't actually commit that act. He says, but where, where does every adultery start? Just like every murder starts with a seed of anger, every adultery starts with a seed of lust. So who's going to deal at a heart level with the seed? He says, I say to you, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So deal with it at the heart level by trusting Jesus. Imagine a kingdom, he says, where I can deal with the heart. I can actually change a person's heart. You can't do that on your own, but I can do that. And then in the next verses, Jesus strikes, in my opinion, one of the most devastating blows against legalistic righteousness anywhere in the Bible. This is, this is savage, what he says next. This is incisive social commentary on the legalism of his day. <clears throat> and what he basically challenges is he says, so the Pharisees want an external righteousness. As long as you don't physically commit the external sin, you're good to go. He says, well, carry that out to its logical conclusion. Hmm? Look, verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, I mean, if that's the problem, external compliance to the law, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Now, Jesus is not here prescribing self-mutilation He's saying if all that counts is external righteousness, if all you have to do to achieve the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is check that box that says don't murder or don't commit adultery, then just gouge out your eye. Then you won't be able to see to commit adultery. Or, or cut off your right hand. Then you'll be incapacitated in such a way that you won't be able to commit murder. If all you have to do is external righteousness, just keep self-mutilation. Keep chopping off body parts and gouging out eyes so that you can never commit any of these sins. And if you do that long enough, you'll just roll right into heaven a mutilated stump but you'd be a mutilated stump with a wicked heart and who can deal with that only Jesus that's his point it's incisive social commentary he's saying follow the logic of the Pharisees all the way all they care about is external righteousness gouge out the eye cut off the hand who's going to deal with your heart you think a blind person can no longer sin? You think someone without a right hand can no longer uh, commit murder or adultery? Who's going to deal with your heart? In fact, that's his point. So preacher, are you saying if my right eye causes me to sin, I should gouge it out? Yes. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. But that's his point. It wasn't your eyeball that caused you to sin, is it? You going to blame your eyeball? Your eye only did what your heart told it to do. Your right hand... When a murderer in this country commits murder, we don't commits murder. We don't put just the hand in jail. Well, the hand is what pulled the trigger. So let's arrest the hand and put the hand in jail. The rest of them can go. For, he all goes into jail. Why? Because you'd say, well, yeah, the hand committed the murder, maybe pulled the trigger, but the hand only did what the heart told it to do. That's Jesus' point. <laughs> you gouge out your eye or cut off your hand. Your hand didn't cause you to sin, and your eye didn't cause you to sin. It's all a reflection of your heart. 
Who can deal with your heart? The Fer- scribes and Pharisees can only deal with an external rule-following righteousness. You need something that exceeds that. I would say it this way. It's not the external righteousness from rules. It's the internal righteousness from relationship. You say, I feel like I've heard that before. You have. You wrote it down earlier. Just, just put a big plus one by it. Okay? It's the same point. He says those two things, same thing. Only I can give you a new heart. You don't get that by following the rules. You get that by knowing me, being born again of my spirit, learning from me, staying connected to me. His illustration of divorce, I do think it's interesting. He sandwiched the one about divorce between lust and lies. And so many times you hear about the betrayal, but you hear about the lying, the dishonesty. I think it's intentional. Look, verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now you have to understand some historical context here. The scribes and Pharisees had a system set up where the rules were this. A man could divorce a woman so long as he gave her the certificate of divorce. Some rabbi, there were two schools of thought on this. One rabbinical school was pretty strict on the reasons why a man could divorce. Others were very liberal on their reasons. In fact, you can read one rabbinical school said you could divorce a wife if she burned the toast in the morning. In other words, for any reason. You got it? So either way, the power was all with the man. And men in that culture, you notice the, 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 the you caused to commit adultery. You, you, you're the one committing adultery. He's putting it back on the man because the man had all the power. And he was patting himself on the back going, what? I gave her a certificate of divorce. What's the problem? She can now remarry. I'm, good to go. I'm a stand-up guy. I did the right thing. I gave her rights to remarry so she could be fine. And anyone could see she's not going to be fine. It's not okay. So don't just, don't just walk around going, hey, I'm a stand-up guy. I'm a good guy. What, because I gave her the right paperwork? Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, very different from the scribes and Pharisees, in my kingdom, I'm going to do this thing in my hearts of the followers where divorce doesn't even enter the minds of my people because that adultery, which was so repulsive back then and to some degree is today, would be put on the same level as divorce, which is to say unthinkable. I'm going to have my people in such a way that they're going, to, they're going to not have that seed of anger. They're not going to have that seed of lust. I'm going to, over time, I'm going to sanctify that. I'm going to work that out of them. They're going to be poor in spirit. They're going to be meek. They're going to be merciful. And I'm going to have the kind of follower that divorce won't even enter their minds. They'll follow this rule, not because of some external righteousness, but because God is changing their heart. Leads to the kind of people where it wouldn't even enter their mind. I would put it this way. It's not the external righteousness from rules. It's the internal righteousness from relationship with Christ. Just put another plus one. He moves on to oaths. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. Again, the historical context I've mentioned. Like today in a court of law, you know, hand on a Bible. I don't know if they still do that, but the tradition, you know, hand on a stack of Bibles. I, I swear to tell, you know. That kind of thing. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Basically, what they would do is they would say, if you swear invoking God's name, you have to tell the truth. So you can get around it by just swearing like on Jerusalem or on like on heaven and earth. And Jesus is like, no, 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 (laughs) no, no, no. I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven. So those of you that are swearing by heaven, he's like, who do you think? That's the throne of God. Or by the earth, for it's his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And if you're like, well, then I'll just swear on my own head. He's like, who do you think made your head? <laughs> do, not, 
Don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. <laughs> in my kingdom, you don't have to constantly look for loopholes, man. You're thinking like a caterpillar. <laughs> You're thinking scribe and Pharisee righteousness. When it comes to dishonesty and lies, in the Jesus way, in the Jesus kingdom, what I'm doing in people's hearts, you, I know this sounds revolutionary. You ready for this? In, in the Jesus way, you can just tell the truth. <laughs> what a concept. You don't need to take an oath at all to make you tell the truth. You just tell the truth. Verse 37, let your yes be yes. You know me, no. Simply let what you say. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You can just tell the truth. Can you imagine a kingdom, a world marked by people with simple honesty? That's exactly what he came to establish. It's not the external righteousness from rules. It's the internal righteousness from relationship. What about retaliation? You notice in a pattern here, we're getting further and further divergent from the way the scribes and Pharisees uh, uh, envision righteousness to the Jesus way. And Jesus is getting more and more radical. You want to see a radical difference? This is a, go this is a good one right here, this retaliation. This is a good one for Coleman, Alabama. Because everybody here is so nice. Now hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> it's like uh, everybody wants the same thing. You want a good, healthy place, you want a good community, good neighborhoods, good, good, good schools, good, good, you know, uh, low crime, no, no hungry children, no, no poverty. Like, I don't know anybody that's against any of that stuff. So then when you talk about what does it look like to be a born again follower of Jesus in a Bible Belt town where there's a, you know, there's just a general sort of, whether it's Southern hospitality or just niceness, what is one of the key differentiations? You want to see a key differentiation? You want to see a distinguishing mark of somebody walking the Jesus way. How about somebody who has given up a desire to get even? You give up your right to always get even and you will shine like a star. Let me correct that. You will shine like a city set on a hill. You'll be like the salt of the earth, man, bringing out the God flavors of this world. Because everybody... When they retaliate, everybody thinks they're just getting even. Look, look at verse 38. You've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that not only goes back to the Torah, that precedes. You, you think about Hammurabi's code, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That, that was meant to, to restrain the human impulse to retaliate. That law was meant, as a good law in the sense that it was meant to be given to um, uh, 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 restrain, to limit that impulse. Uh, because, and obviously you see why, the, the, the human impulse is, uh, Hammurabi's code was an eye for only an eye. Only a tooth for a tooth. Because what happens in humans is, uh, think about the ancient Near East. Think about, I don't know, Hammurabi or wherever you want to be. Uh, uh, you come and steal one of my cows. You know, these ancient warring tribes or factions. You, you come steal my cow. The law was you can only be uh, made right by a cow plus interest. That's it. That makes us even. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, cow for a cow. Nobody does that. They said, you come take one of my cows? I'm going to burn your whole barn to the ground. And then what? You burn my barn to the ground? I'm going to start killing some of your family members. You kill my family members? I'm going to wipe your whole group off the face of the earth. See what happened? The escalation. So the law is meant to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. The problem is what? <laughs> the problem is <laughs> everybody would say, when I was just getting even. That's human nature. Nobody ever thinks they're retaliating more. They think, well, you started it. I'm just getting even. Look, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine reading a newspaper article? 
That was just for everybody under 30. Can you imagine reading a newspaper article? <laughs> you can't scroll. I mean, there's nothing. To, okay. Can you imagine seeing on the news or however you do whatever? Can you imagine scrolling through the, the medias? Can you imagine a press conference? Take any, it doesn't matter who, Israel, Palestine, Russia, Ukraine, whoever's fighting right now, Israel, Palestine. Can you imagine a missile strike? Six missiles hit and they destroy this neighborhood and there's a hospital and there's all this terrible tragedy or whatever. Can you imagine the people who were hit? Can you imagine them stepping up the press conference? <clears throat> can you imagine them saying, uh, as you know, we were just hit with this missile strike and I just want everybody to know we deserve that. That makes us even. That was for what we did. It's cool. Now we're even. They had a right to do it, and that's on us. Our bad. No, you can't imagine that. That's insane. Nobody ever does that. What do they do? You can expect retaliation. You can get, why? Because now we have to get even. Nobody ever says, wait, at some point we were uneven, right? now." No, there's, there's no even. I'm, all I'm doing is getting back. Is getting, you will never come across, you, your toddlers are never going to be like, to answer your question, Dad, I started it. Unprovoked, it was me. I started it. Punish only me. <laughs> never going to happen. If that happens, he's plotting something. He's, he's, uh, he's, on, he's playing chess when you're playing checkers. He's working an angle. You understand? It's even a darker evil at that point. You understand? So, so, so everybody thinks, no, they started. He did it. They, it was them. I, I, I did that only because they did this. So Jesus says, all right, all right, <clears throat> imagine. And now imagine. Imagine a kingdom. Imagine a world where instead of inserting evil back into the world, it was absorbed. And everybody hears that and they go, that sounds awesome. Jesus says, don't say it sounds awesome until you're willing to count the cost of what that would look like. I'm imagining a kingdom so radical that evil is not reinserted in the world. But my followers are gonna be the kind of followers, it's gonna be like nothing you've ever seen. It will look shocking. I can tell you what it looks like not to reinsert evil in the world, but just to absorb it. But I'm warning you right now, it's gonna shock you. It's gonna shock you, and 2,000 years from now, if I don't return, there's gonna be a place called Coleman, Alabama, and they're still gonna be preaching about this, and it's gonna shock them too. It has offended every culture since the first time it was preached. But you can't deny it. This is what it would look like to not reinsert evil in the world, but to absorb it, that it could be done away with. I can show you what it would look like. You're going to rage against it. You're going to look for a loophole. But I can show you what it would look like. Here's what it looks like in my kingdom. Only butterflies will understand this. Caterpillars won't get it. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Wait, what? Jesus, are you saying the only way for evil not to be recirculated into the world is that it must be absorbed? Yep. That's from another world. I know, little caterpillar. I know you can't imagine that. But many of you can, can't you? To everyone who's been born again, there's something about that we can't shake. And there's something that is happening inside of our hearts that God is working in our hearts. Even when we read that, and even when we don't understand it, and even when we rage against it, we can't deny he's right. That would work. That would absorb evil. I don't know who can pay that cost. I don't have all the ins and outs of that. I don't know. It's like the first instinct for a Christian over time is no longer to get even, it's to love. That's radical stuff. 
Jesus is saying, well, the Pharisees want to talk radical. They, they, they say, look, we have a law where pretty much everybody except the extreme cases can get in. Jesus says, well, then why can't I have a kingdom where my followers will do extreme things? Stuff the world won't be used to seeing. Why? Because it's not the external righteousness from rules. It's the internal righteousness from relationship. Last one. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not in the Bible. The Pharisees added that, but again, Jesus is saying that, that, that's what they... That's the only way they know how to handle something like love. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. It's funny, Jesus never said you won't have an enemy as one of his followers. He even says in the Beatitudes, blessed are you when men persecute you. He doesn't say you can't have an enemy. He says, here's what to do with an enemy. Love them. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect means complete, whole, mature, not lacking anything. The scribes and Pharisees had a system of external righteousness where who you love is limited to those who love you. Jesus says, in my kingdom, love is radical. You will have enemies, but you love them. You pray for them. And when you treat enemies in that way, you know what people say? He looks just like his dad. They'll call you a son of the heavenly father, daughter of the heavenly father. They'll say you look just like your dad. You know why? Because that's how God is to his enemies. You know what he does every morning to people who love him? He gives them a sunrise, beautiful sunrise every morning. You know what he does to people who hate him? Do you know what God does to somebody who shakes their fist and hates God with everything they've got and wishes God would be white? They don't want to hear about God talk. They don't want to hear about Christians. They don't want to hear about religion. They hate God with everything. You know what God does to him every morning? Gives him a sunrise. Gives him the gentle falling of rain to bless their crops and to feed them. Jesus is saying these scribes all want to talk about blameless. Let me tell you what I'm trying to do. It's not about external righteousness from rules. It's about the internal righteousness from relationship. When he says be perfect, even as your heavenly father is perfect, that word again, complete, mature, not lacking anything, and God intends to bring his children to a point where they are exactly that, whole, complete, perfect, fulfilled, a human ablaze for the glory of God. And that will not come from a righteousness from the law. That will not come from a righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. That will only come from a righteousness that is from God, that depends on faith. And that righteousness is a better righteousness that far exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees and far exceeds whatever righteousness you're being offered in 2023 from your culture today. Brandon's gonna come and lead us in a time of response. A long time ago, I promised you a personal testimony of a Pharisee. I can't prove that he was quoting Matthew 5.20, but it's my hunch. There was a Pharisee who got saved. You can just write this down. You can read his testimony in Philippians chapter three. He says, look, if anybody... I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. 
As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Here it is. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. Murder, check, never murdered. Never committed adultery, check. Never divorced, but if I did, I gave a certificate, check. Never divorced, never gave, always gave a certificate. Never took an oath, perjured myself by using God's name, check. Never uh, uh, retaliated, well, when I did, I only to get even, check. Under the law, blameless, blameless. Loved, oh, I loved my neighbors. Was trained to hate those against us. I was blameless. And then, like that, he's talking about Matthew 5, 20. He's saying, I had a righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, and I was good at it. I was blameless. Oh, but then, y'all, then I took a nap. <laughs> I had this, like, God did something, y'all. He found me. The risen Lord Jesus found me. And now, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing knowledge of, of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ, watch this, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's Matthew 5, 20. That's it. He's saying, this is the righteousness I now have. And so now, what's left? I, listen, I just want to know him. I want to know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That my, because if you go from caterpillar to butterfly, that's like a death. I mean, to be born again, it, it costs you everything to be a Jesus follower. There's no either or. It's like if you're going to be all in on this kingdom, you've got to be all in. That may cost everything. And Paul says, I would pay it. If by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, whole, complete, mature. That is the exact same word Jesus said in Matthew 5 as perfect, be perfect. Not that I'm already there, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Forget what lies behind. For anybody who's wrestling under the law of the scribes and Pharisees want to fill you up with condemnation over anger and lust and murder and divorce and all that. They're heaping up con condemnation. Je the Jesus way is full of grace this morning. Forget what lies behind. Strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are perfect think this way. Same exact word. He translates it mature there. There's an irony. Anyone who, the more mature you get, the less you think you're perfect. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it. Just let us hold true to what we've attained. This week, Live out the Sermon on the Mount, not because of external box checking, but because you are so closely united to your Lord Jesus. Get to know him more and more and live from that love relationship and that internal righteousness. We'll have you living this week in the Jesus way. Let's pray. God, grant to us an understanding of the Sermon on the Mount. Grant to us at a heart level, Lord, that we would not be satisfied with external compliance to rules, but with a heart that loves you, with a heart that's growing more and more being made and fashioned and shaped into your image. And God, thank you for your revolutionary new kingdom. Thank you, God. And I pray more and more of your kingdom would come and your will would be done on this earth, just like it's done in heaven. Until that day that heaven meets earth, Lord, we long for your return. I pray that. If anyone here doesn't know you, let today be that day where they cross over from darkness to light. In Jesus' name, amen.